Welcome to the Healthy Podcast, where we invite you to invest in your well-being and unlock the secrets of vibrant health, peak performance, and wellness. Join us, Sebastian Mirau and Johannes Kettelhout, co-founders of Australia and New Zealand's leading wellness company, as we dive deep into the science, strategies, and stories that empower you to live your healthiest, happiest life. Whether you are a CEO, high achiever, entrepreneur, elite athlete, health enthusiast, scientist, or self-improvement seeker, together we will explore the cutting edge of biohacking techniques and holistic health practices with world-class experts that optimize your mind, body, and spirit. With each episode, you will walk away with practical and actionable steps to integrate in your daily life. Are you ready? Let's elevate your well-being. Hi, everyone, and welcome. My name is Sebastian Mirau, and I'm here today with Simon Favorito, which I'm really excited about because Simon has been working with us and has been a friend for many, many years. And I will give it to Simon straight away. Welcome. And what is your conscious kitchen? What are you doing? Hey, Sebastian. No, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so your conscious kitchen is my business. It's it's what I offer. I offer Conscious catering to um, health-focused businesses and families and private services. And I also offer coaching and classes. I do that around the Byron region and I do it by correspondence with people around the country. Oh, wow. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Nice one. And what exactly is the conscious food culture? Like what, where, what do you understand under conscious, I guess, when you talk about food? Yeah, so conscious food culture is a term that I use to describe um, someone's relationship with the way that they eat. Uh, it's about finding a way to eat that supports you to achieve all your goals and dreams and mm -hmm. ambitions in life, gives you great physical, mental and emotional health. And that's a bit of a process, you know, it's a bit tricky out there. You know, some people get lost and so I kind of help them find their way with food. Yeah. So you basically set yourself goals and, and, and then come up with a strategy that sort of supports that, yeah? Yeah, that's right. It's similar to, you know, some sort of coaching models that are out there where, yeah. you know, you find out what your goals and ambitions are in life. Yeah. And then we look to see where that could be lacking, where you could need more more support mm. and how you can do that using food as a means to do that. Yeah. yeah. Gee, that's a minefield, hey? It can, it can be, but um, it definitely can be when it comes to food. But yeah. the process of the coaching helps simplify that and gets people in touch with their direct perception of how their food culture is directly affecting the way they think, feel. Yeah, and I know you have affected many, many people over the years also to break down certain, I guess, paradigms that people think think and, and blockages of like, I can't eat this or I shouldn't eat mm. that and that type of thing. And I, I believe everyone everyone is passionate about their food in one way or another, mm. which means that it's a topic, I guess, that's relevant to everyone. But when it comes down to actually what's right and wrong, I guess there's not just one answer, yeah? Yeah, there definitely isn't a silver, a silver bullet, and um, it's definitely um, it's definitely something that each person has to find themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's been my experience, and that's been the experience of a lot of people I've worked with. And you can use other people's experiences to, to kind of guide you, but somewhere along the line, you need to step off and walk your own path, and that's where the conscious food culture comes into it. Right. Um, so yeah. How did you walk that path? Like, where did you actually start, and how did you get into really diving deep into the conscious food and what works for you, and then figuring out and helping others to do the same? So I'll do my best to simplify this story because <laughs> obviously it's um it's it's deeply woven into my life. But uh, I guess I could track it all back to my upbringing. You know, mm. I grew up with my brother and my mum in a single parent home, and my mum was very busy at the time. She was uh, running around dropping us off 
you know, making dinner, going back to work, off to babysitters. And I just remember having a very busy life. And when you're a single parent running, you know, a family home like that, um, there's not a lot of focus on, you know, nutrition and the healthiest food. Mm-hmm. She always gave us our meat and three veg and did her best. But in between those meals, when she didn't have time, we were, we were just snacking on whatever was in the cupboards. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of, um, like a lot of packet food, you know, all the different colors and flavors. And, um, I remember opening up the freezer when I was young and would have like three or four of those Neapolitano ice creams. I don't know if you know them. No. It's basically because you're from Germany, but yeah. us in Australia, we know what they are. It's, a, <laughs> it's the cheapest kind of ice cream you can get, but you've got a pink strip, which is strawberry, a white strip, which is vanilla, and a brown strip, which is chocolate. Huh. And uh, we used to just sit and just eat that. I'd, eat yeah. that. I'd just snack on it whenever I wanted. You know? uh. um, I got this funny memory that pops out when um, I was going through the freezer one day, and I said to mom, we need more ice cream. <laughs> Mom's like, what are you talking about? There's plenty of ice cream. And I opened them all up. And I said, no, they're empty. And it was just a strip of vanilla in all four containers. <laughs> my brother would smash the chocolate. I'd yeah. smash the strawberry. Yeah. We left with nothing else. So to carry on from that story, throughout my whole childhood and through my teens, I had lots of problems health-wise, lots of digestive issues, to mm. be honest. And that, when I look back in retrospect, resulted in a lot of emotional um, and mental problems, a lot of learning difficulty and difficulties when I was younger. I had a lot of emotional problems when I was younger and I had a lot of these stomach pains. It felt like, you know, rusty knives. And it wasn't until I was about 13, I started to go and spend some time with my father who lived yeah. in Sydney. And he's a, he's a retired Sicilian chef now, but back then he was very much working as a chef. And I'd go and spend two weeks with him at a time. And when I lived with him, he would, one thing was very different when it came to the food. There was nothing in packets on the shelves. His upbringing on the islands of Sicily, he kind of brought that to Australia with him. So we'd go down to the markets or the supermarket and buy fresh food every other day and we'd come home and prepare it. And he'd always be talking to me about real food, real food. And I was like, what do you mean real food? So he'd take me home. We'd cook together. He'd talk about why he's putting certain things together, you know, using bay leaves so you don't get gas and soaking your lentils so that you don't get a sore stomach and And I thought, this is kind of interesting. And I'd go home after two weeks and all of a sudden all my problems weren't there anymore. Like my my, my stomach problems weren't there. Um, I I felt better physically, mentally, emotionally. Um, My acne, I had terrible acne as a kid. I was medicated for it. But after just a couple of weeks of eating real food, it would go away. So I'd go backwards and forwards through this experience through my teenhood um, I'd come back from my dad's, feel great, and then three months later, I'm in the exact same space. You know, chronic digestive issues, mental, emotional issues, bad skin. Mm. Go hang out with my dad, and they would all go away. So um, I caught on to the fact that maybe the food had something to do with it. Back then. Back then. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I left uh, left high school at the end of start of year 12. I started studying as a chef, thinking that that's what I was going to learn. Mm. I fell in love with cooking, but I quickly learned that the industry is not about making healthy food Mm -hmm. and um, my conditions all came back with a vengeance after working 80 hour weeks and eating at odd times and yeah eating what I thought was good food but it wasn't necessarily and around my mid-20s I had this massive health crisis everything came back flooded in all those problems came back tenfold and I couldn't work Uh, basically my life kind of took a took a stop And I went through the medical system for about 18 months, getting lots of procedures and uh, lots of medicine and all these different diagnoses. And one thing that I noticed was I wasn't getting any better. I was actually getting worse. Mm. 
And it wasn't until one day I just decided to walk away from it all. I was uh, sitting alone in my room in the dark, kind of like a movie, just sitting in the corner there, thinking about my life's (laughs) over before it begun. And this little memory cropped up in the back of my mind. It's it's funny how sometimes you just need to hit rock bottom to kind of get some clarity, right? And this this picture started coming up of these visits I'd have with my dad when I was young of like, you know, making the food and talking about real food and then me feeling good. And it became really clear to me that when I went down this path of pursuing cooking, I wasn't interested just in cooking food that tasted good. I was interested in learning about how to make food that made people feel good. Mm. So I started to embody some of those principles and started to dig deeper and it led me into herbalism and different types of modalities and through using whole foods and herbal medicine and different types of older kind of healing modalities, I was able to just get my life back. Wow. Yeah. So from there on, I studied a few different modalities. I started practicing um, kinesiology and coaching and uh, I always had one foot in the cooking world while I was doing that because that was my skill set. And about 2013, I sold my cafe after kind of repeating some habits of working too hard in the industry. Hold on, you had a cafe? Had a cafe, yeah. had a cafe in Cronulla for about two years. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and trying to actually have, have healthy food there for uh, sale or more? Not standard? really. No, it was um, it was a specialty coffee cafe. Yeah. Uh, I'd been approached by someone for a partnership. Yeah. And I'm, at that time, I was studying kinesiology and I was really interested in natural health. And I... I thought, well, we could start up this yeah. business on the side. I'll try and make it as healthy as I can, mm. and I can kind of venture off into health and wellness from there. But the reason I sold it was I, I realized that, that what I was setting up there wasn't really in alignment with mm. what I wanted to share in the world. Mm-hmm. So a big sacrifice there. Um, and then from that point forward, I just one step at a time started to create this lifestyle based on what I wanted to share. And... Uh, yeah, so I hope that wasn't too long an explanation of not what at all. came about. No, no, not at all. And isn't it interesting that your dad sort of like stepped in with something quite old and ancient? Because mm. if I understand it right, then the life in Sicily, at least back then when he grew up, mm. would have been almost the same as 200, 300 years ago, right? Yes. You know, fishing. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very, very old school. And, and they're not even on Sicily. They're on a group of islands off the coast of Sicily called the Aeolian Islands. Uh, and um, so very small islands. Yeah. Everyone knows everyone. And like you said, they're all fishermen. You know, my dad was pulled out of school at 10 to go and work on the fishing boats. Wow. With his yes. dad, you know, and he used to pull it down by hand down to the water and then you know, go out and, you know, that's how they did it. So, so when you just look at the diet that you were exposed through his cooking mm-hmm. there, would you say for the right person, that's all they really need to do mm-hmm. to be healthy and happy as well? Like it's it's that refined and mm-hmm. even though it's ancient, it, it really works for humans? Yeah, it definitely, in my experience, yes. I guess you could say it's a Mediterranean diet, right? That's uh-huh. kind of the foundation of what he was sharing and yeah. what, he, what, um, what I would usually mm-hmm. use as the foundation of my cooking. I definitely think the Mediterranean diet is a really great foundation for because it's using lots of seasonal produce. Mm. It's, it's very heavy on things like fish and vegetables and good quality oils and these sorts of things. Um, there are some legumes. You know, the way they treat them makes a difference in, on the benefits of those. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a great – it is a great pillar for a, for a, a good, wholesome diet if you mm-hmm. want to choose one. Yeah. But in saying that, not everything works for everyone. There's no silver bullet. And I think – one thing that helped me with that was learning different philosophies and different, you know, dietary practices from across the world throughout time and started to weave them into that. 
things like Ayurvedic medicine and Chinese medicine and understanding some of the principles that they embody, you know, the, the energetics of food, the mm. heating qualities, the cooling qualities, yeah. these sort of things, um, the digestive spices. You know, these were great, greatly beneficial to myself and the people around me. Yeah. Man, that's such a, it's almost like a secret. I, I know when you say conscious, that really nails it because I've been, into cooking ever since I've been, I think, four. I used to make a lot of soups because it was mm. you just have to throw it in, right? Mm. But, you know, it's, it's certainly something that I've always been passionate. And I remember mm. over time just learning, oh, this spice works for me mm. because of this. You know, really, really gradual. It was not like here's a package of a system that works. Mm. But um, I found it amazing knowing now, for example, that if I, if I want to cool down, Ginger does aid that, you know, and there will be other herbs that do the same thing. And being just, it's almost like a superpower. It's like, well, I have access to, you know, herb garden or spices or whatever. I know how to put, throw the food together mm. in a way that it actually assists whatever is going on for, for me. Mm. Um, that's great. Mm. Amazing. And that, that's, that's kind of the foundation of it is, you know, what works for you and your direct perception of what works for you mm. um, and understanding that there's there's much more of that out there if you're willing to kind of open and expand the way that you approach food and, and your relationship to it. Yeah. yeah. I, and I reckon, you know, the future is bright when you look into, I guess, that being systemized, people testing themselves, like mm. gut flora, you know, that type of thing, what type of body mm. type they are, all of that. And if you throw that together, then actually having a database that just says, look, you know, you lean more mm. towards this type of diet or this – which is already out there, I guess. Yeah. But if I think about, we'll talk about food a little bit later again. But yeah, sure. I, I was just wondering, so you can make a living out of that type of knowledge. I, I, I see it as extremely valuable. That's not mm. what I mean. But there's one thing about being passionate about it, and another t way to actually, so, um, you know, support a. How many people? Do you guys five. Five now, yeah. Five, yeah, yeah. Five, yeah. yeah. And so, my dad's retired and he lives, um, he lives on our property now. Man, so there's a real we're, we're a little village going on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> recreating right. the village at home. So. Yeah. yeah. So how, how did you build a business out of that in comparison to work in kitchens and having a cafe? So it was step by step. Mm. It was, it was literally one foot in front of the other. Um, it's hard to explain. I just, you know, I always had my foot in the cooking industry as I, um, as I explained because it was my skill set. And um, I always had my mind and, and half half a foot in the wellness industry. You know? So as I was moving forward and I had an opportunity to cook something, I'd, I'd just look at it and say, is this food that is going to support the people who are going to eat it? Or mm. am I just, you know, satisfying their superficial senses? You know, and I, I wouldn't do it if it didn't feel right. And, you know, I did that at a great cost at the start. It was very stressful and financially it wasn't very viable long term. So I just have to keep throwing myself in those situations. Um, I started up after I sold my cafe and then spent about 18 months of kind of dabbling in, in different ways of doing this. I started market stalls around Sydney and that's around the time we met. Mm. So I was doing market stalls. And that, for me, that was a great way to, to build my confidence because of the feedback, you know, the direct feedback you would have with people. Yes. Turn up, they would buy. It was, it was like a little cafe that I'd set up, <laughs> all whole food-based. And back then, I was, I was very much plant-based. So it was all plant-based food. And um, just seeing the feedback people would give me, not just about the taste, but they'd come back the next week and be like, you know, I feel so good when I eat your food. Yeah. And I boiled it down to the fact that I was using whole foods as a foundation. Uh, I would always use whole foods, nothing refined, nothing with preservatives, using good quality sea salts, you know, natural oils. Uh, I'd be treating things in a way that I knew was beneficial. So 
If I was using legumes, I'd make sure that I was soaking them for the appropriate amount of time, cooking them, changing the water, putting certain spices to aid with the digestion. I wasn't just throwing lentils in a pot and getting those those gassy kind of mm. results with people. So that experience of getting that constant feedback day in, day out, made me realize that, oh, this is, you know, people are responding to this. Uh, I feel good when I do it. And from that became came a lot more opportunities. People saying, can you teach me how to do this? Or will you cater on my yoga retreat, for instance? Or, you know, my family wants to eat better. Can you come over and do a class for us? Mm-hmm. And I just started working with the feedback and ants just saying yes to everything. <laughs> Even yeah. if I didn't know exactly how to do yeah. it, I'd say yes. And then I'd figure it out as we did it yeah. and just try and refine it and systemize it along the way. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, where did you end up? Like, where? what are you doing now? Like, what what did you continue? Obviously, you don't do market stalls anymore. No, no, I don't do market stalls. Um, so, from the market stalls, I went on to do a lot more private catering through um, retreats, mm. yoga retreats and, um, you know, wellness events around Sydney, mm. personal trainers and coaches and yoga studios and, and places like that. They're always looking for someone to cater while they do Mm. their getaways or someone's doing a training. I was doing a lot of private stuff, so going to people's houses and filling up their fridges with with wholesome food, you know, three or four days worth, Um, doing some classes. And then about seven years ago, uh, oh, sorry, six years ago, just before uh, my first son was born, um, I came across Billabong Retreat, uh, which is in west northwestern Sydney, mm-hmm. and it's um, it's a plant-based yoga retreat. It's the busiest retreat in Sydney. It's quite mm. busy. Wow. And uh, I just started doing some casual work there, just kind of to fill in the gaps. And from there, I became the executive chef and huh. ran classes every week, and um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that. So I, I kept my private work going while I was doing that. Don't know how, but that's what I did. And then, uh, I don't know how you didn't sleep much. I remember. Yeah, well, that. I didn't sleep much. Yeah, I didn't <laughs> sleep much, uh, especially with newborns. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and that's what I do up here now. So I work purely for myself up here now. Very cool. Yeah. Called your conscious kitchen. Your conscious kitchen. Mm. That's right. Yeah. So when you when you look at uh, food that you offer that that responds well with people, like w- what are the typical Themes that you see, you mm. know, like what are the categories that you find? It's like, oh, okay, you, you're a meat person, or, you know, mm. you, you're a non-legume person, or you, mm. whatever it is. Like, yeah. do, do you have some, some things there that you can see are definitely yeah. themes? Okay. Yeah, there's, there's definitely themes. <laughs> that, well, there's definitely culprits there, like with people with digestive issues, which is where I started. There's definitely culprits. So if people are having digestive issues. The, the, the culprits are usually something like dairy, gluten or wheat. Uh, excessive sugars, whether that's refined sugar or dried fruits or raw treats or snacks, these sorts of things. Meat is definitely a contributor, but uh-huh. it's not all meat. It's a type of meat. So if someone's eating lots of steaks and like firm kind of protein-rich cuts, does yep. that make sense? Uh-huh. Yep. That you have to chew and your body has to break apart. That's definitely a contributor. Um, another contributor is... Uh, lots of dry foods, people not looking at what they're eating. So they're eating lots of bread or they're eating lots of like roasted potatoes and starchy carbohydrate rich foods that aren't moist. And that creates problems in the digestive system because it's dry and it blocks you up, if that makes sense. So the things you mentioned, this is not even fast food. This is not even particularly chemical food or something like that. Like this is just even because I would think that some people would argue, look, this is pretty good. Like mm. the German would say, this is, yeah. you know, I'm eating bread. This is yep. good. You know, we've had bread yep. for many thousands of years. Oh, good. Yeah. 
But even then, because to me, like, this is not even rock bottom. This is not the worst that it can get. But even that would create so many issues that people really say, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, well, generally the people that I come across aren't people that are out eating McDonald's five times a week um, or eating those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, they are definitely the, the biggest contributors to health issues, in my opinion, from a yeah. food perspective. You know, fast foods, um, highly processed foods. But people that are eating a generally okay diet that they consider to be okay, but they're wanting to make improvements, they're, they're generally the people that I come across. You know, these are the people you see on wellness retreats and people who are coming to market stalls looking to eat, buy healthy food. They're, they're kind of taking that first step and now they don't know where to go from there. Um, so it's about refining that. You know, and if there's someone that's eating Say so someone who's German, for instance, and they yep. come up with, they've got a lot of bread in their diet and they're eating a lot of meat. You know, there might just be a minor tweak to that. You know, really? Instead of eating steak four times, you know, yep. maybe get some slow cooked meats in yes. there and see if there's a difference. Yeah. Or a congee or something that's cooked over a long period of time where your body gets maximum bioavailability and absorption, but you get minimal digestive energy needed. Uh-huh. Um, if you're eating bread, there is a difference between, you know, white refined bread and, you know, traditional pumpernickel or fermented rice sourdough. There mm. is a massive difference in that. Mm. And beyond that, there's also a big difference in how the person's approaching the food. What do you mean? Well, we could be eating the same diet. Yes. You know, but I could be very busy and on my phone while I'm eating and taking five chews and swallowing, thinking that my stomach's going to do everything, but, you know, my stomach doesn't have teeth, does it? You know, I have to chew my food before I swallow it. And that's a very basic principle that a lot of people overlook and they hate to hear it. Um, <laughs> and it's about making space for that food. So whereas you, you could be sitting down, carving an hour out of your day, turning your phone off or putting something on that's inspiring, like a podcast or something, and just kind of eating in a relaxing state, chewing well, you know, not mixing too many ingredients. You know, um, That's a massive difference on the same diet and we're going to have very different outcomes. Yeah, I found... Actually, it's something that I thought always too easy and therefore too easy to overlook is being actually hungry when eating, you mm. know, not having had sna- too many snacks. Mm. Uh, for me, that worked well better. But, you know, suddenly the same food that normally is maybe a little bit hard to digest becomes okay or, you know, mm. even good simply because I'm ready again. So for me, intermittent fasting um, in the morning mm. really helps me to make sure I'm ready again mm. to take food when I, when I, Travels, you know, and, and let that slip or, you know, moving time zones or something that's sometimes really off. <laughs> and I can see just how my system basically says, like, you know, I don't have the capacity to start mm. anew again, that type of thing. Or I have a buffet and you eat for hours, yeah. that type of thing. It just, and that's not even what you eat. It's just, yeah, yeah as you said. It's just, it's how you eat. And that's, um, that's one of the big things when it comes to food is it's people get caught up in the what and, the nutrition and the numbers mm. and it's a very intellectual game and that's why people get overwhelmed and it's a bit of a minefield and I think my experience and, and uh, what I found effective with people is trying to get them to, to drop out of their mind as being the perception of the process and dropping into how do I feel when I eat? Yeah. Do I have more energy? Mm-hmm. Am I sleeping better? Can I think clearer? You know, these sorts of things. Am I satiated? After I eat, does my stomach gurgle and churn or is it, does it feel fine? You know, these are things that you can directly perceive yourself. You don't need to go and have tests for those sorts of things. Um, so I think that's one thing that's really important is, is try not to get caught in the minefield. Yeah. Of all the information and the thousand websites and the conflicting. Yeah. Information out there. Yeah. I think, we, yeah, that, that, that's really, I, I believe, where the body awareness comes in. If mm. if I would ask someone 
do you think sushi is healthy or not? You know, mm. they might have an opinion, whatever it might be. Mm. What I know is if I see, eat sushi, I feel terrible afterwards. Mm. I just always feel not great. And um, even though, you know, maybe most of the literature would say, no, this is a really good diet, you mm. know, I just know it doesn't work for me. Whereas, like, I don't know exactly why, but I can eat as many potatoes as physically fit into mm. my stomach. And I don't feel even very tired, mm. if at all, because it seems that I'm just made to eat, you know, mm. like good potatoes. Yes, but yeah. you know, if if they are, like, I don't get tired. And I found that so powerful to see that and experience that myself, because mm. I can gen- then just make the conclusion of like, I just don't eat sushi. It just doesn't work. It doesn't matter what what the literature says. Yeah. says right. Yeah, and a hundred years ago, you wouldn't have eaten sushi. No. You wouldn't have even known what it was. <laughs> it was only you know thirty odd years ago that yeah. it actually started to break into Australia. Yeah. You know, if we were born 20 years earlier, you wouldn't be eating sushi, um, you know, for most of your life, if that yes. makes sense. So, yeah, that's another thing is to realize that you don't have to eat everything, mm. you know, and that's that's a bit of a trap because you don't want to miss out. Mm. FOMO sneaks in. and But I think finding about finding out what best works for you is great. And I think, like what you said, you know, I think leaning on your heritage is a great way to do that. Uh-huh. But trying to keep that as natural and as whole food based as possible is your best bet. So if, you know, um, with the Mediterranean being my background, a Mediterranean diet works really well for me. Yeah. I was um, I was plant-based for quite a while. I was raw vegan for almost a year. And then from that, I became plant-based and then, then into a vegetarian diet. But I got to a point where I was working very hard when I was doing the market stalls, like I said, I wasn't sleeping and all of that <laughs> as much as I could. And my diet um, wasn't really enough a buffer to make up for where I, for that hard work that I was doing. And I was living in an all plant based house at the time and uh, we had this strict rule of all plants in the, in the house. And I must have let this drag on for months, but I just felt like fish. I just yeah. felt like it. Yeah. It was in my bones. I could feel it. And one day I, um, I was craving so much that I went and bought a glass jar of organic, uh, not organic wild caught, um, what was it? Um, mackerel. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. And I sat in the park down the street, yeah. down um, the house that you used to come to. I sat down in the park down the street and I ate it <laughs> with guilt, <laughs> guilt, just yeah, yeah. guilt in me. But I, in part of me, felt like I just needed to do it, and I, I felt good. Yeah. I felt good, mm-hmm. but I felt guilty. And and this is something that I think you know people need to be open to is that. You know, the, the dietary dogmas that are out there are very dangerous. You know, they can, they can definitely help you. I think having something to, that can support you in life that takes into account something greater than you, like a, something more humane, you know, through plant-based diets or, or whatever it is that you're doing is a great cause. Um, you need to be honest with yourself too. And if you are not healthy and you don't feel well and there is that conflict, then you can't show up. You can't be your best self. You can't be the best partner, the best CEO, the best employee, the best anybody. And I think that's the most important thing. You, you, you want to be a shining beacon for what it is that you're doing in the world. Yeah. And if that means that you're vegan and you, you drink bone broth sometimes yeah. and you feel better for that, that's great. You're eating 99% less meat and you feel better yeah. and you can have far greater impact in the world than if you are restricting yourself from what you need. And and I'm not saying that because you're vegan you are restricted. That was just the example that I used. Yeah. Can you see how people's behavior change as they tighten themselves up? Let's say you have someone who's just doing keto, you know, like other mm-hmm. certain traits that you sort of like, maybe mm-hmm. it might be not, not 
the same trait for everyone who is then eating that type mm. of diet. But yeah, like for veganism, I definitely, <clears throat> and you know, you put the ism behind it and it becomes already fairly strong. Mm. Um, when we were in that phase, raw veganism and so on, mm. there was certainly quite a bit of evangelists that said they were, you yeah, know, everyone, is, everyone should do this because this really works. Yeah, like, seen the light. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, but, but um, forgetting maybe that this is only temporary working. Mm. And uh, like I certainly know that. Uh, what's called, I guess, dampness and coldness came really into the body and mm. my digestion after quite a year, few years though really went downhill. Mm. And then I sub <laughs> supplemented this with every now and then a kebab. And it really helped. Once a week a kebab, otherwise mm. a raw vegan works. But then that was not enough. And so, you know, I found warm things that I would drink and, mm. you know, at one stage, I think I just gave up. It's, yeah. it's just, it was too, well, I just couldn't hold any food anymore. And, yeah. yeah. It's unsustainable. And then, you know, there might be a very, there might be people out there that it works for in certain yeah. situations and, and climates. And climates, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I often say to my wife Lucy, like, I, I like fasting and eating raw food and mm -hmm. things like that um, in short periods. Yeah. But if we lived right in the tropics and I was living a life where I had a different lifestyle and, you know, yeah, I'd consider it. You got a little, you know, more of a raw plant based diet. You know, I wouldn't say I'd eat strictly raw plant based, but I would definitely eat more. Yeah. And even moving from Sydney up to Byron Bay, I'm eating a lot more raw plant-based foods. Yeah. I mean, we are growing a lot more too. We're growing mm. a ton of food, but um, I feel great from that. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that, what was the question again? Do you, you notice that there's a... Yeah, so that, you know, certain diets have, I guess, um, a personality that comes with it after a while. Mm. Yeah, yeah, something like that. You, you can definitely, I think there is fundamental personality traits of strong belief systems you know, so not willing to listen to mm -hmm. alternative opinions or forming strong opinions to, to defend to defend your position. You know, these are things that come with dogma, and uh, I think they're dangerous because you know um, anything that inhibits the truth is you know f a truth for anybody can be dangerous to the person or people around them. Yeah, and that goes for carnivores as well, right? Yeah. Oh, for anybody. Yeah, yeah for any yeah. diet, yeah. for carnivores, for paleo, for for anything, for whole food diet. Yes. You know, which is something I'm a big advocate of. If you if you believe that you should only eat whole foods and you're not willing to listen to counter arguments or or you know look at the, the the potential the potential negatives of that, then you're in the same boat. So yeah, it's about trying to find a balance a balance between the way that you believe about something and the way you perceive it and the way you share it with people. Are there people in the world that can eat pizza a lot and it would be good for them? Mm, I, I I wouldn't know personally. I don't know everybody in the world. But, I mean, you know, look at Michael Phelps. You know Michael Phelps? World champion swimmer in America. I don't know how many medals he had, but he was he might even hold the most records still today. I don't know. I don't mm. follow swimming. But at the time, he definitely held the most records are uh, the most medals mm. and his diet came out and he was drinking liters and liters of pepsi eating you know three or four pizzas a day or night just super calorie dense diet yeah. but he's an extreme case yes. and he's performing an extreme task yeah so was his body producing <laughs> enough heat and activity to burn all that up yeah. my, my question would be if he could get all those calories into his body using whole foods yeah would he have been better yes that's the question. Or would he have more longevity? Would it add more years to his life? Would it take... We don't know what he's like. I don't know what he's like behind the scenes. Maybe he had emotional issues or something. Yeah. I, I don't know. But um, that's definitely an example that jumps out. There are yeah. these high-performing athletes, and they're usually young, early yes. 20s. And it, it usually doesn't kick into people until yeah. their 30s Yeah. when things start to have to reevaluate the way they eat. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you a question, but I, I start with an example. What I find amazing is that 
you know, sometimes the truth at the of the day doesn't doesn't remain the truth mm. for much longer. So you know, like this whole thing mm. of gluten intolerance, for example, is something mm. that I found is not necessarily true for everyone. Mm. And I realized what it actually is, is is like if you're from the UK or from Northern Europe, it might be just that you can't break down gluten. That doesn't mean that mm. you're intolerant, but it means that your body doesn't have what it takes. Similar to people from uh, sort of the Asian area can't really do with alcohol necessarily mm. or certain certain parts there, yep. you know. Um, so what I found out is that, you know, if I want to break down gluten, I have ginger tea or ginger mm. extract with it and suddenly mm. it's not a problem anymore. Yep. So I'm actually not intolerant. And, yep. and so I guess when you look at um, specific health conditions and what you can do about that, what, what have you seen mm. as a, like common common things that are just so powerful and, and so simple by just adding basically that medicine mm. and make it your food? Mm. Well, I think the example you gave them was a great one. Mm. You know, that's something that I often tell people um, if they're having issue digesting something. Yes. You know, if they say I'm always bloated or I'm feeling this, then, you know, ginger before a meal or ginger after is fantastic. It usually stimulates, um, it stimulates digestion and it's more of an, it's more of a yang way of stimulating digestion. It helps break down food. But if you have an overactive digestive system and say you get a lot of gas and these sorts mm. of things, then something like fennel tea, Oh man, this is one of the most powerful teas in the world already. Yeah, just amazing. Just organic fennel seeds. You, they don't even have to be organic. Just just fennel seed tea. It's beautiful. It's got that lovely licorice taste to it. And if you combine the two of them, if you don't have any specific thing that's happening in your life, like you don't specifically have an issue digesting or or bloated stomach or something, I would highly recommend adding in a fresh ginger and fennel tea. You know, ten fifteen minutes either side of a meal. And see if you notice a difference over time. Um, it's a very potent tea, and it's one of the most simplest things you can do. I, I think you know herbal medicine and teas are one of the easiest ways to upgrade and expand your food culture without making massive changes. And and to to continue on that, like you said, you know, um, gluten, you know, may not be the problem. I mean, there is an argument there between you know heirloom wheats and and then you've got you know semi dwarf homogenized semi dwarf um, hybrid. Wheats, where the, pro- the protein structure is different that we haven't evolved with, there's there's, there's definitely a, a conversation there. But to say that you can't do something is very limiting. And my experience has been when I am moving right and I'm sleeping right and I'm eating 95% of my time, I'm eating, taking every meal as an opportunity to nourish myself and fuel myself, I can handle the, the, the bread. But if I eat it every day, it's not my thing. But... But there are there are little things there that you can do to make that make it so that you can have bread once or twice or three times a week. You don't have to just rule it out completely. Just made a note to actually have fennel and ginger tea always on the table. The kids mm. will take it, and you know, if nothing else, it will, they don't have problems. But yeah. you know, at the same time, it might. Be just oh, it's them. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Does it have to be very onerous to I guess, upgrade and 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 change your diet around so that it is that it has the right. You know, spices in it, the right right combination of foods in it, so that it works for mm. you. Does it have to be really complicated? No, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's um, it's like any it's like any goal, I guess. I mean, if you're if you have a vision and you want to create something that doesn't exist today, you know, you've got to have a vision of of what it's going to look like. But then you break it down into simple steps. You know, like if you're going to build a house, you don't you don't start on everything. You lay a slab first. 
you know, and that's where we work on. You work on the foundation, and from that you start looking at your footings or, or whatever it is. I'm not a builder, so I'm probably butchering these terms. But you're, you know, you're looking at the pillars. Then, you know, what are the four foundations of your house? And and that's kind of the way I take the approach. The 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 slab or the the, the fundamental foundation there is working with whole food ingredients, things that are minimally refined and that are naturally growing. And then from there we can start to expand and add different pillars in there. Okay, so one of those pillars will be utilizing spices, herbs, herbalism in a very simple way, usually through teas or in cooking to kind of upgrade what you're already doing. And then from there, another pillar will be like, where are you getting your food from? Are you getting it from the supermarket? Because you, you can buy whole foods from a supermarket. Um, they have a, quite a good range these days. We're very fortunate in Australia and most parts of the world where you can walk in and buy like a huge range of vegetables, like the only range that you would ever need if you wanted for the rest of your life, really. But... Is that the best quality of mm. that that you can get? Mm-hmm. Well, if that is and you live somewhere where there isn't a local market or an organic market or you can't grow, then, yeah, that's great. But, you know, let's make sure we're washing everything properly. We're buying things with minimal plastic wrapping on them so you're not getting those those um, xenoestrogens kind of leaching into the broccolis and things like that. Um, and just on that topic, if you are someone that, that buys from the supermarket or buys non-organic foods, you know, it's worth looking into the dirty dozen and the clean 15. These are the the dirty dozen are the twelve the twelve um, fresh foods that are sprayed the most with chemicals, and then the clean fifteen are the ones that use minimal pesticides, herbicides. Um, and then when you take them home, just half fill your sink with water, half a cup of apple cider vinegar, let them soak for about five minutes, give them a little rinse, and that'll strip off most of the pesticides and herbicides. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's a great way. That's a great strategy. So you don't have to worry about running around and getting your food from somewhere else and thinking, am I doing the right thing? Then you've got a supermarket that's there. You can buy it, or let's look into your local growers market. They're usually on at least one day a week in your area. In our area, here in Byron, there's one every day of the week. <laughs> it's crazy. <yeah. laughs> it's hard to know where to go. But you know, around Sydney, there's there's usually two within reach. You go one or two times a week, yeah. and that's great. Start off there. Um, all the whole foods and grains and things. There's a decent organic range in the supermarket these days. So that actually fits into the question of like how important <laughs> is organic. But you were basically saying. For some, it's super important, or you really have to do something about it. And for others, it's like, yeah. look, we know it's not like fast-growing. Th- like I know, I used to work with companies that grew um, microgreens, you know, mm. small-growing, fast-growing yep. vegetables. They would say, actually, you know, it, we we don't we don't have it organic, but at the end of the day, it grows so fast that we actually don't need to use uh, yep. herbicides. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. There is a lot to that, you know. Um, there is a lot of those foods out there that don't require herbicides and pesticides uh-huh. and things. And there's some that are in just such great demand that are so that are so vulnerable to pests, especially when they're monocropping and they don't have this natural ecology going on. They need to spray them. And broccoli is one of those ones. Uh-huh. Um, strawberries are quite high up there too. I guess some yeah. some, some some foods are non-organic. They're, they're yeah. Fine. yeah. Yeah. I think I think starting with a whole food as your basis. So mm-hmm. Whole foods as your basis. Learn how to cook. Whole foods, less things in packets, you're going to eliminate lots of complications from the beginning, and you're going to start learning new skills. Organic is always going to be better, uh, and I think calling it organic is a bit of a um, a bit of a, a deterrent because it feels like we're aiming for something more, and it's usually priced that way. Um, whereas if we just called it naturally grown food, and we called commercial food chemically treated food, we'd think about it very differently. Yeah. So, you know, that mindset helps, but yeah, go for, go for organic if you can. If you can't, whole foods are fine if you just learn to treat them properly and wash them and, and you're getting your exercise and sleeping and, you know, they're fine. 
So, can you give me an example of a non-whole food? Yeah, so your tomato sauces are non-whole food. Right, and how can it's you make it, And how can you make that whole? Can you make it whole? Well, you, you can make it. Well, it won't be a whole food once you've made it because you've you've limited. You you basically turn it from a whole food into, into a, a into a processed yes. food. But you making that process yourself. Yeah. You're minimizing all the processing involved, any chemicals and sub, like I could say um, lesser quality ingredients being put into it, and then they're being packed into plastic, which you know plastics aren't great. You know, estrogens and all this stuff that comes from plastics and chemicals, and then they sit on a shelf for who knows how long. So, by gotcha. yeah, you and control and the whole process so much more that alone, can. yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah. And I mean, in saying that, I'm not saying you need to go and start making all your own mayonnaise and sriracha and tomato sauce mm. and barbecue sauce, you know. But if the foundation of what you're eating is whole food based, you're not buying like a mince patty that's been pre-done and got preservatives in it from the supermarket and you're actually just going making your own mince or your own lentil yeah. patty or something like that, then you're 10 steps ahead anyway. I think there's always room for that 5% to enjoy life. If you know, I like sriracha sauce, it's got a preservative in it, but it's the only thing in my life that I'll sometimes put on something that has a preservative in it. Mm. And I know my body can handle that mm. and most bodies, people can, but if I'm using that and then I'm buying meat that's got preservatives in it and I'm using like a refined white flour bun and I'm buying a mayonnaise off the shelf that's got stabilizers and vegetable oils and all these trans fats and things in it, then all of a sudden it's really unhealthy. So one of the processes we go through is we look at what people are eating, try and upgrade what we're eating already very simply, which is a fun process. Learning how to make food, where it comes from, you know, you can create little events where you get friends together or you cook with your partner. Mm. Make it one day a week to start with and then systematically start to expand your food culture. And I, and I love working from this foundation of expansion and inclusion as opposed to exclusion and restriction, which I think a lot of diets are associated with. Cut all this out. Don't eat this, 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 this. And this is what you'll get often if you see a, a dietitian or some nutritionist is that cutting out a lot of things, process of elimination, and let's see how you go. And it's, it's not very inspiring mm. because you're, you're cutting out parts of your life. You're cutting out parts of your culture. You're disconnecting yourself from other people in your life and events. You know, don't do this. Oh, they're eating this. I can't eat that. Instead of saying, well, how can we upgrade that so you can eat it and feel good about it? Mm. That's the approach I like to take. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Healthy, the global wellness company to equip every household on Earth and Mars with a device that improves and extends their life while having to use it less than an hour a day. Check out our range of superior wellness devices including infrared saunas, red light therapy and ice baths on healthy.life and now back to our show. I remember studying Indian cooking, really mm. studying. Like I had, I don't know, 20, 30 books. Yeah? Like yeah. Ayurvedic cooking or Indian? No, no, no. Actually, just Indian kitchen. Like, there were mm. yeah. commercial books as well. And just looking into mm. master sauces and, you know, really fancy <laughs> dishes. and that. But, you know, it started really quite simple. You know, how to mm. make a dal, you know, and how to put other things in it. Mm. And I'd always go into Indian uh, shops and, and buy new spices that I'd never heard about. And then, you know, find a recipe that works with that. And, and when you talk about this type of expansion, I thought it, it became a really tangible knowledge base that that became mm. I could really move around in it 
want it more spicy, you want it more creamy, you want, mm. you know, whatever it might be. And the recipes became quite involved, like sometimes two hours of cooking, you know, and, yeah, quite, yeah. and that was good. Like that, that's not practical for every day, but I guess what I, the reason why I share that is because I feel that's true for many diets or ways of cooking or that type of thing. That's it. I, try the minimum first mm. because that's easy to do. Mm-hmm. If that works, you know, then expand a little bit here. And this whole experimentation to me, that's, part of life anyway yeah it's part of our society and the age we are in because you're not given a set of these are the recipes we do here in sicily there you go and here yeah. are only the um ingredients that that are available we have everything available and so it really requires a quite a conscious approach mm. um to to eat healthy because the options are just numerous now mm. right? so, so I, I guess what i'm saying is like having a base starting from what works and then Way, weighing up or you know just dabbling into that does it work okay yeah. my tummy actually doesn't really particularly like it why I don't know or yes I do know and mm. so you can make it work that type of thing yeah I, I, I totally agree with you I think it's about you know, there are so many options out there and I think that's where it can be a bit of a minefield and I mean, once once we realise that with food you never really it's, it's going to be an ongoing process throughout your whole life it's, it's, the one, it's, it's one of the things that we have to do it's one of the only things that we have to do all the time mm. So um, instead of learning what to cook or what to eat, I really love exploring how to cook, how to eat, how to source your food and making that fun and expansive and creating a culture around it, you know, because then it becomes fun and becomes sustainable. Diets aren't sustainable because they're very limiting, you know, or trying to achieve a certain outcome isn't always sustainable because, you know, you make sacrifices to, to achieve a goal a lot of the time. But this, mm-hmm. the goal of this is about finding your flow finding your natural flow through life and your relationship to food, which is inevitable. It's like saying, I want to find the perfect friends. Mm. You know, what are the character traits of perfect friends? And let's just go get those perfect friends and I'll tick that off. It's like, no, you know, you you need to learn how to relate to people in a way that's sustainable and harmonious and you can deal with all the ups and downs of having a relationship and food's no different. Yeah, right. Mm. How do you start with someone that comes to you and says, hi, Problem X, Y, and Z. Like, yeah. what, what, what do you normally suggest to them? Well, it depends on it depends on the person and it depends on what they're looking to do. You know, um, <clears throat> I can give some examples. For instance, uh, so you know, I'll have someone that, who came to me and was having digestive issues. For instance, mm. you know, they'll have common, yeah. It's very common. It's extremely common, and there's lots of different types of digestive issues. But they're having, um, you know, had like, explosive kind of issues going on, yeah. um, cramping, these sorts of things. So. I would just talk through what they're having to start with. What are they eating? Yeah, it turns yeah. out this person was eating pasta five times a week and they were having coffee one or two times a week, uh, one or two times a day, sorry. They were indulging a little bit in some treats. And so the first thing was, okay, well, let's just try this to start with. Let's just get rid of the culprits that we think are going to have a massive difference to start with. You know, how often you're having like explosive issues and feelings? Oh, two times a week, three times a week. Okay. Well, let's replace your usual pasta with a high-quality gluten-free one that's made out of quinoa and brown rice. Because there's, there's so many great gluten-free pastas out there these days mm. that are made of good-quality flours, and, and they taste like a normal pasta. I think I've served it to you guys. Yeah. That you, know, you wouldn't know that they're gluten-free. No. And then you're, you're having dairy, so look, let's let's cut the dairy out. Are you willing to try a different type of milk in your coffee, for instance? You know, we'll try an oat, he's like, mm, you know, and there's always a bit of apprehension, and, and then we'll touch base. And then they touch base, and he's like, you know what, the pasta's great, and that oat milk's actually quite nice. I quite like that one. Mm. I'll stick with it. And then a month went by, I didn't have any symptoms. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go back to... What you were doing before? Yeah. 
same thing started happening again. So that was one example. So that was a very simple thing to get on top of. Someone else came to me. uh, Someone was quite unwell. And uh, in the family, the the mother had had cancer. She'd been going through a variety of treatments. And she decided to go plant-based to heal herself because she'd come across a lot of information and felt drawn to that. And she did this without the support of her doctors. She started to feel great. And then her two boys, who were, I think, you know, um, early high school or late primary school at that age, said, Mum, we want to join you and become plant-based. So they did. And then the husband's like, well, I'm in too. (laughs) So the whole family went in and they... Um, they wanted to change the way they eat because now she was burdened with the challenge of having to prepare food for the whole family in a way that she didn't know how to do because it wasn't her forte before that. Mm-hmm. So I went over and did a class and they loved it so much they asked me to come in weekly and prepare food and she would work alongside me for a lot of that time and help out and learn principles and they'd slowly start to ingrain this into their diet so that they made sure that they're all being nourished on a plant-based diet um, and just give them little bits of homework and little tips they could do and slowly weave in step by step a way of expanding the way they work with food um, so there, there's two examples and then um, another one was someone just really wanted to improve everything that they were doing and they didn't know where they were with food so we started with the foundations you know start with whole foods anything in your cupboard that has numbers <laughs> put it aside we're not yeah, using yeah. that where are you getting your food from yeah. some homework you know um, find a local market store and then after that week, okay, I found a market store. I'm not using those ingredients. I'm buying this. Here's three recipes I'll send you. You can try them this week. Eat normally around that, but eat those and see how you feel. And then slowly let's turn that into four meals. And then can you invite someone over and make some fun out of it? And you just slowly expand. And then over a period of weeks and months, they, they, they have a whole new way of approaching food. Amazing. Yeah. You mentioned uh, principles <coughs> before, and food combining is one of those principles, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, food combining. Yep. You got some examples there? Cause yep. I found that really powerful. Yeah, I, I found it very powerful myself, and uh, not talked about enough, in my opinion, but the uh, foundational kind of, like the philosophy of food combining is, um, you know, how do we combine the right foods to get optimal digestion and bioavailability of the nutrients that are in the food? So just because you're eating something that's high in protein doesn't mean you're going to get all that protein because um, the foods you're combining it with may inhibit the digestive process so you don't get all that protein. Likewise with nutrients and vitamins and things. So the simplest way to break it down, this is a very simple example, is our body can use a multiple number of fuel sources. So we can use carbohydrates and sugars as a fuel source so your body will burn those up, convert them into energy. Your body can use fats, so you can use fat, which is why the ketos are doing. They're just running off fat, right? Mm. And then you've got proteins as well. Proteins are also another form of that your body can break down and use as fuel and then use as building blocks as well. The problem is in your digestive system, in your stomach, there's only one stomach. The enzymes needed to break down and digest and assimilate those um, and turn them into fuel, they all produce at different temperatures, so your digestive system works best between something like 38 and 42 degrees. There's, there could be a few a point in there that I'm missing, like a points of degrees. But the proteins are better digested at the higher end of that spectrum, around 42 degrees, and the enzymes protease that are produced are in that temperature zone. The fats, uh, I believe the carbohydrates are next, and the fats are the lowest, down 37, 38 degrees. Mm. So if you're eating high-fat, high-protein, and high-carbohydrate in one meal, which is not uncommon, then your body can't produce these enzymes simultaneously to digest everything at the same time. And then your stomach 
has to pick a temperature to digest, but none of them are going to be optimal because when you're looking at food combining, you're kind of looking at every meal as, what is my fuel source for this meal? Is it protein? Is it like an animal protein or is it a plant-based protein like tempeh or something like that? Well, then I'm just going to make that my main protein source and fit everything around that, minimal fat and very minimal carbohydrate. So maybe a salad with some ferments and some just good quality oil, and then you've got your meal. Likewise with the fats. Is the fat going to be my main source here? Is it going to be something that's rich in coconut or avocados, these sorts of things? Or is it going to be carbohydrate-rich? Am I going to eat a bowl of potatoes, like you said, mm. which is you know, always very appealing? You're going to eat the carbohydrates. You know? So by looking at food that way, I found is, is a very effective way of, I guess you could say, making finding a sustainable way to eat food and get the most out of it. If you're eating your meal and you're tired afterwards, chances are your body's working way too hard to digest it. Uh-huh. So this food combining, again, like everything, I don't think there's one silver bullet, but I found this a very effective way of helping people to fine-tune the way that they approach their meal creation, thinking about what is my fuel source? Is it carbohydrates? Is it fat? Is it protein? And just for that meal, you can switch later. Okay. Yeah, you can switch later. Unless you have a defined goal like losing weight, then you would probably just stick with protein and fat, and then you'd kind of work off that, if that makes sense. Yeah, so what would be a f- – I'm just – you know, when, when you look at a normal um, meat and three veg sort of like thing, that's, <laughs> yep. that's completely everything, right? So it you, is. Yeah, it's yeah. very complete. Yeah, especially if you've got meat, you've got some greens in there, minimal carbohydrates. So right. like if it's, say if it's potatoes yes. and meat, yeah. then this, based on food combining principles, that's, um, they, they compete, they're competing in the digestive system. Yeah. You can mitigate that a little bit with certain uses of spices, chewing well. These things really help. But in general, you'd be looking at meat, greens, low-carbohydrate vegetables, you know, broccolis, peas, these sorts of things, beans, salads, ferments, a little bit of oil, and that that would be a really great example of a of a food combining meal. Pasta would be a great one for carbohydrates. It's mainly carbohydrate. You can fit a bit of protein in there, but you don't want equal amounts of both. If that makes sense, you know, like like bolognese is a good example too, because you've got little bits of mince through there. Mm. You know, you don't have like two cups of mince mm. in one little bowl, and then you've got mainly carbohydrates. But if you had like a big pasta with like you know, like a ragu with heaps of meats and things, then that would be a conflict of yeah. um, that'd be competing in the digestive system. So either none would um, be really available to the body properly. Well, not as much as it yeah. could be. And over time, it's unsustainable. So you'll you end up with digestive issues over time because you just it can't sustain that, if that makes sense. What's a good trick to yeah. s- to slip just one of these principles at a time into yeah. your life? Um, you mean the food combining? Anything, really. Like, yeah. how do you make this work? Because I've seen, and I've done it many times, just like, right, enough, mm. Monday. I'll do X, Y, Z only. Mm. Throw it all out, get only what I need, you mm. know, what I want to do now mm. and so on. And that extreme approach when I was young, you know, when I had a young body, I guess, it's it sort of worked. I could do it, but at the same time, I don't know how, how well it really worked for the body mm. long term because it was so extreme. Yeah. You must have found a way to actually make it also practical for families to, yeah. to sneak things in or, or to bring it like, well, what's your approach to, yeah. to change this, bring change into it? Yeah, I think, look, I think with, with any, let's, let's be realistic, it's a big goal to change, to revolutionize the way you eat. Mm. And everyone has, everyone's going to have a different, a different amount that they're going to have to do. You know, some people have to make massive changes. Some people just need to make minor tweaks. And I think, 
approaching any new goal, it's, it's, it's good to use motivation and that high charge of emotion as motivation. But I think if you want it to be sustainable, you have to do it in a calm way. You know, you don't get too fired up. I'm going to make a change tomorrow. It's, it's more about a one degree change at a time. You know, like, like a ship. If it's sailing from here to New Zealand and it doesn't change its course, it's going to hit New Zealand. But if it take, makes a one or two degree change, it's going to end up in a completely different place. And that's kind of what we're looking at is where do you want to be five years, 10 years, when you're 70, when you're 80? And you're incrementally making little changes at a time. And that's what the coaching does is it helps you determine what I try and help people determine is what's the next best step. It has to be easy because it will never become a habit if it's a hassle. It has to be simple. Mm. So to answer the question, I would start with if you're someone who's not eating a whole food-based diet, I'd look at trying to do that as a goal. You know, keeping 80% of your food whole food-based, 90% of your food whole food-based, meaning starting with whole food um, plants and vegetables, keeping it simple, minimally refined foods from packets, even if they're organic tins of food and things like that. Try and get back to working with fresh food and buying fresh food and learning how to use it. So in the beginning, you wouldn't even necessarily change your diet, really, but mm. but the source of the, well, the you would mm. change where the ingredients are coming. Yeah, from. that's right. Yeah, because there's a there's a reason why you like them. You know, those tastes yeah. and those flavors appeal to you. And yeah, try and look for the healthier versions of things if you can to start with. And and using whole foods as a foundation is great. And Look, reading labels. If you are going to buy things in packets, reading labels is priceless. Yeah. If you turn over a packet and you read it and you can't understand an ingredient, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. Switching slightly. So, you know, whole foods, you can buy them, but you can also grow them. And I know yes. you grow a lot, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's five minutes from here, up the hill. Yes. <clears throat> How do you start to do something like that? Because, mm-hmm. you know, not everyone is... Um, has uh, grown up with a green thumb mm. or you know really mm. knows a lot about it like what would be your approach to say all right i want to i want to get that s- little bit more upstream mm. than even just buying whole foods yes. i want to do some you know growth growing stuff and of course there's some benefits that i would like to ask you too about that of course yeah of course um you look i didn't grow up with a green thumb just to put that clearly and i lived in an apartment when i was in sydney for seven or eight years so we mm. didn't have i haven't had a lot of experience with growing in that environment for a you know, I'm, no, I'm known better than most people, let's just say. I just have a passion and an, and an interest and uh, I believe in the benefits. But the easiest way to get started is to, first of all, find out what your capacity is. Do you have a balcony? Well, you can put a pot on there, okay? Yeah. Uh, if you have a backyard, then look for a spot that's a little bit sunny. And I would start with growing herbs and greens. It's the easiest thing to grow. They grow fast and they're easy to use and they've got some of the greatest benefits. Things like parsley, coriander, all your herbs, chard, kale, um, chicory or dandelion, lemon sorrel, s- salad leaves. These things grow really quickly. I'm talking like a matter of weeks until they're ready to eat and start to harvest, and they continually grow. And you can use them everywhere. You can make pestos, throw them in soups. You can just steam them and just have them with a piece of fish or have them in your pasta or have them fresh in salads. It's the easiest way to do it, and, and you want to start seeing results so you can build that momentum. The good thing is that these days there is so many good resources online of how to do this, you know, mm. YouTube, Instagram, these sorts of things. Yeah. But it really comes down to soil preparation, and if you can find a way to work to, to get good quality organic compost soil, in your area, and most garden centers should have something similar to that. Uh, that's the best place to start, definitely. What are the benefits of growing yourself mm. rather than 
going to the markets. Yeah, well, well, firstly, you're learning a skill that is, you know, it's going to last a lifetime, and it's something that, you know, it's deeply tied into your survival. So knowing how to grow food is very important. When we had a lettuce shortage last year, do you remember the lettuce yeah. shortage? And, and lettuce went through the roof. We had 60, 63 lettuce heads in our garden. Yeah. Amazing. So we didn't have a shortage. Yes. I had so much I was selling it to chef friends of mine. Wow. So I'm not worried about shortages of food or anything, but, you know, it's good to have things around that you need. And why not have things that are essential? Yes. And um, second thing is you save a lot of money. Once, once you have the initial startup of a garden going, which is quite minimal, we're talking soil. We don't even build walls around our gardens now. We just literally just mound up soil on the ground and plant into that, a no-dig kind of bed, and plant some organic seedlings in. Once you've got that, you can harvest them for weeks and months sometimes, saving tons and tons of money on your food. Uh, you're also eating much higher quality food. So if you buy a lettuce head from the supermarket, you know, chances are they're probably sprayed or they've been uh, kept in certain refrigeration and sometimes there's refrigerators of gas to keep things fresher longer. They add, they ch- they manipulate the gas in the air to keep things fresh for long. Like you've heard about, yeah, yeah. you know, birthday apples have been in there for a year yeah. and these sorts of things. So you're getting a lot fresher, higher quality food and the biophotonic resonance of that food, which sounds really out there, is much higher, meaning that the energy of the food is much higher. Like what were we talking about, 10% higher? Oh, well, I couldn't tell you exactly no, how. No, but you, but you meaning substantial. Huh? Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a living food. There yeah. is, you know, every, every living thing has biophotonic resonance. And what that is, is it's light energy that is emitted from living cells. Yes. It's a, it's a well documented yeah. phenomenon. And there is certain forms of technology out there where they can, they put living things in a completely dark chamber and they'll take a photo of it with a special camera and they'll see and you can find these online you'll, yeah. you'll see that they're emitting it looks like blue and and beautiful opaque kind of lights like lightning and then they take those same foods they'll take foods that are not fresh that have been sitting on the shelf for a long time and they'll take a photo and their the light has diminished significantly and they've even done comparisons between organic food and non-organic mm. food or cooked food and not cooked food. And this, this, this energy is completely gone in some cases. And you can feel it. You can feel it when you eat food that's fresh from the garden. It's just the flavors there are just so much more vibrant. Yeah. Mm. And on top of that, the culture is just, it's a beautiful thing to do. When I was going through a lot, some struggles when I was younger, I, I felt really called to, to kind of get involved in gardening. And I, I stepped into a garden and kind of, just really immerse myself in the gardening, a little biodynamic garden in a, um, a retreat space down in Sydney. And I kind of just Googled and YouTube and then tried to apply some things myself. And by having my hands in the soil and my feet on the ground and being in nature and then planting and watching those things grow over time, it really did something to my level of consciousness. It really made me, it really helped me find a certain level of peace that I didn't have before that. Mm. And I think that's um, something that you intrinsically learn by helping things grow and watching them grow and being a part of that process. You, know, you can't unlearn that from a subconscious level. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits in my opinion. So beneficial. And I think, well, if I think about, you know, what, what one says about um, the whole gut flora, mm. kids playing in the, in the dirt, mm. people are connected to the earth, therefore are negatively charged ions mm. entering the body. There's so much uh, cool benefit. Like Hand, I said, it has nothing to do with the food that you eat afterwards. Hands and feet in the soil. Yes, yeah, yeah, hands and right. feet in the soil, definitely. Um, 
you can really hack this in a sense, I guess. If you know what you your body really needs, let's say like your particular mineral, you really need mm. copper, whatever mm. it might be. Um, putting copper in the soil, or I know some people just say, look, use copper um, utensils, like mm. or, you know, like gardening yeah, utensils. Yeah. Yeah. Bring that copper into that. You can then grow food that is really specific for you, and I believe mm. that's where it will eventually end up. I wonder which book I read recently. That's right, Dune. And they would mm. talk Dune, about, yes. you know, and it's one of the later books where the souk doctor comes in and checks this person that just had like a lot mm. of energy uh, taken taken away because of, of the adventure that it went on. And so the doctor came in and just checked what was missing mm. and put a menu especially together. That's just the chef producing, mm. you know, what, whatever is needed exactly there, which is similar probably to Star Trek where you, you know, get your mm. food made. But if you really think about it, you could go upstream and just grow the food the way that, that you mm. need it. If you are zinc deficient, there might be a way not only to get it in, no, first of all, choose the plants that have the zinc in it, whatever mm. it might be. I'm just making this up. And then actually putting more zinc than normally mm. into the soil, therefore it gets absorbed to being so really strategic mm. about it. Yeah? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can. And this is the thing is it's not... It's not for, like I said. It's not finding the, the friends that are perfect for you, so that you never uh-huh. get challenged. It's about finding a way to relate to your food and the way that you and the way that you experience your food and you walk between meals and you walk between ingredients that is sustainable and you can expand over time indefinitely. Mm. Does it make sense? Like to say that I'm just going to eat this yeah. for the rest of my life. Well, you're going to be challenged because. You know, there's going to be certain situations, events, circumstances, people so, that will challenge yeah, that. And what if what works for you today doesn't work for you in the future? You find out you have leaky gut or a really bad digestive system, but you've been eating raw plants your whole life. Mm. Now you've got a community of people that only do what you do, and you have to extradite yourself from that. Mm. And that's when it becomes a challenge. So I, I love what you're saying there because I, I've seen people who do similar things with their gardening. I There was a friend of... Um, which I think I don't know if you know Roman. Do you know Roman? Yeah, you know Roman. He was um, he was growing. He's he's into a lot of different things. Very much focused on the energetic side of things. But he had these amazing gardens in his backyard when I um when we were living on the northern beaches, and he was doing what was called electroculture. So um, and I've never seen gardens grow so fast. They were amazing. And so you'd have garden beds, and then he would insert copper poles into them. and put corrugated iron woven through there out out of the soil. And theory was that you'd be creating a system there that would exchange electrons by having the copper in the atmosphere in the soil, which is wet, and there, and then something to do with the bacteria. And these plants were... He had one garden... That's right. He had one garden set up like this and one that wasn't. And the one that he did grew, like, significantly faster. Wow. It was amazing. Yes. So I think there's lots that we don't know. Um, yeah. The other thing is, you know, but programming your water, you know, like, you know, water has a mm, structure. structure yeah. yeah, you know, but by programming your water before you water your plants, they'll grow faster. There's also a lot to be said about plants synthesizing and making minerals and making things, not necessarily pulling them from the soil, but yeah. through the through the exchange of sunlight, and water and bacteria they're synthesizing from the rocks and minerals in the soil yes and the protozoa and the the bacteria and the fungi and um, nematodes and all these things that are in a rich soil environment they're extracting them for you (laughs) since we're talking about gardening you know some of the leading soil experts in the world they've said that within a grain of sand there is enough um was it potassium 
I'm going to get this wrong, but I'm going to say it. They said there was enough of these essential minerals for gardens that everyone says is deficient, but within one grain of, grain of sand, there is enough for like 100 acres. It's about the bacteria that will extract it from that sand and make it available for the plants to synthesize and yeah. to create. It's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. It's a whole argument. Do I need calcium or is it really silica and magnesium that I need? Well, that's right. Is it's it settled yet or are we still in the dark? I, d- I don't know. I really don't know. But I, I know <laughs> I know that eating silica-rich foods is great. Yeah. You know, and uh, I like that. I feel good. Yeah. I, I inject one little story because I found this always, like, you yeah. know, really, really gets me emotional. Um, I grew up uh, with a big uh, apple orchard. Like mm. Where I'm in, in Germany or where I grew up, there were so many apples. Like It was, mm. was insane and many different types. And there's a sense mm. of abundance when you go through an apple orchard. They're mm. all ripe and you can just like have a bite here and say, ah, not exactly. Yeah, that's more my type and so on. And I noticed it would change over time or on the day as mm. well as like, I love this one, nice and sweet. Yeah, that works. Or also the temperature of the day actually or, you know, the really sour thing really works for me when it was cold and that type of thing. But it, it felt amazing to do that, this experiments. And I guess, you know, it's something sort of like an invitation. You can do that with so many foods. Mm-hmm. Actually, be just a little bit more relaxed about, I need, don't need to eat this if it doesn't work. I actually let this go, give mm-hmm. this to my neighbor, whatever, and, you know, go for that and, and just try it out because I believe the trying out and experimentation is really important. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you follow just one particular dogma, one particular you know, recipe or train of thought, I think, and said, you know, it has to be X, Y, and Z. It can really lead you down the wrong path mm. versus just checking with your body and say, this works. I still feel good two hours after that type of thing. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think um, because at the end of the day, there never has been a Sebastian that's ever lived and there never will be another Sebastian. You're the only one. You know, everything, everything, every philosophy around what to do to achieve balance and homeostasis and health is a guess really when it comes to you and you trying to put yourself within any of those dietary dogmas or any kind of lifestyle dogmas is is very much kind of trying to put a square peg into a round hole and hoping it fits Mm -hmm. whereas you need to maybe there is no one size that fits more than one person yeah and that's you know what was the oldest what was her name jean clement she died i think she died recently she was french she was a 120 years old or something like that she ate a kilo of chocolate and smoked every day. A kilo of chocolate a week and smoked yeah, every day. Yeah. And she lived 120. Yeah. That was her answer to longevity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you don't know. You don't know. And that's why it's about finding your own path. And, and it's fun. And what you learn along the way is like when you embark upon that journey of trying to further discover yourself and refine the way that you live so that you can be a greater expression is a beautiful journey. Yes. The meet the people you meet, the circumstances, events, situations that come up when you start walking on that path is, and it becomes quite auspicious at times. You know, certain things like, oh wow, that's a bit synchronistic that turned up, and and it's hard to explain. You you really need to feel some things because they can't be explained in words. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the team had one question that they really wanted me to ask, Ooh. which is about yeah. Team question. <laughs> oh, what, is, what is your take on lectins? Oh, lectins, really yeah, specific. yeah, lectins, yeah. Um, yeah, look, I mean, I think they're um, a little bit disruptive to the digestive system. They're found mainly in things like raw potatoes and, and certain legumes and soybeans and lots of things like that. They, they, they can be destroyed or denatured through certain types of cooking, pressure cooking and higher temperatures. So I think what it 
what it shows us is, you know, don't eat certain foods, like don't eat kidney beans and soybeans raw, which, you know, I mean, if you're eating them raw anyway, you'd know straight away. They don't taste good and you, they'll, they'll make you fart yeah. a lot. Yeah. Especially kidney beans. Kidney beans are, even when cooked, if they're not even cooked properly, cooked, they're, yes. they are tough on gut. So I definitely think if you're someone that eats a plant-based diet, this definitely is something that people on plant-based diets need to be mindful of. You know, if you're going to eat high plant-based diets and you're looking at getting your proteins from legumes specifically, you know, move into the fermented products, the fermented legume tempeh, for instance, mm. because you cook them to eat them. You can't you can't really stand the taste of them. Some people can the taste of the bacteria that grows on them. It's a bit intense, but you give it a quick pan sear, and what that's doing is it's killing off any of the, it's denaturing the lectins, but also through the fermentation process, the bioavailability of those legumes um, is far greater. Mm. Um, I highly recommend things like tofu. Don't eat those, you know, unless it's a like sometimes I'll make a dessert with a tofu, but we all know it's a dessert, right? It's not something you're eating every day. But if tofu is one of your main sources of protein, you want to switch to things like tempeh or the nattos or the fermented legumes, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, and that way you're going to be mitigating, you're going to be mitigating the, the issue with lectins. Yeah. Yeah. How do you find fasting? Is it something that you bring hmm. often into programs? Yeah, yeah I like fasting. Um, oh, let me rephrase that. I don't like fasting. <laughs> I like the benefits of fasting, and I, I do appreciate the journey of fasting. Mm. I've fasted quite a few times, probably half a dozen significantly since I was 25. Funnily enough, the first time I fasted was when I had a colonoscopy and a gastroscopy when I was going to my medical mm. people back when I had um, a bit of a uh, some serious health issues. And back then, not eating for a day and a half or whatever it was was like... It was crazy, and, but I hadn't eaten, and all my friends in my house were like, oh my God, are you okay? And I actually felt good. I remember thinking, I feel really good, and that stuck with me. But I yeah, I fast every now and then. I, not as much now that I have children. Uh, it's something that I feel like I need to remove myself from my, my lifestyle to do. I go camping or get away from my day-to-day because I'm cooking a lot of the time too. It's pretty hard to fast when you're preparing food for people or talking about food with people all the time because it's such a big part of my identity, so I'm challenged by it. But the benefits I get from fasting are immense. um, I ran a... I was running a little... I've got a little page on on Facebook, actually, called Integrated Fasting, which I was um, running with Mason Taylor. And we had had some groups come through there. And we do a semi-guided fast where we, we share different kinds of information on there and um, different resources on how to detox and do it properly and do a colon flush and um, the benefits people are getting from that is great and I've, I always love doing it I try to get a fast in a year mm-hmm. uh, it just depends um, usually three day minimum upwards to ten days but three days seems to be what I can do at the moment with, with three young children and new businesses and gardens and yes. everything like that yeah so yeah, but I, I highly recommend looking into it and, and approaching it in a way that um, makes sense. You know, walk before you run you approach go. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Which seems to be the case with anything. Yeah. Really, but yeah. And intermittent fasting is probably the best way to start with Yeah, you know? no, I love that. Just cut out a meal. Yeah. And then you That's can it. extend on that a little bit if you like. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, Simon, um, let's change gear and do something that we love to do at the end, which is called a rapid-fire question. Mm, let me have a sip of water for this. Okay, one. you go for that water. Uh, starting with, how can one ensure they are getting enough iron, calcium, and other essential nutrients on a plant-based diet? Okay, so eat a 
eat a good variety of leafy greens, mm-hmm. include a nice variety of nuts and seeds that have been soaked for several hours and rinsed off to remove the phytates, which bind to calcium, so soaked or activated nuts and seeds, um, and including some seeds like chia seeds and hemp seeds, very high in um, protein and iron and these sorts of things, fantastic. So wide variety of greens, cooked mostly, activated and soaked nuts and seeds, hemp seeds and chia seeds. Lovely. How do plant-based diets compare to the diets that include animal products in terms of nutrient density and overall health benefits? Well, that's a big question. I'll fire it off quickly. Animal-based protein is going to be more complete. If you So if you go eat a steak or a shank or something like that, your body's going to be more sustained than if you just ate a bunch of leaves, if that makes sense. You're kind of moving more into a fasting state if you're doing that. So it depends on how you construct your plant-based meal. Calorie per calorie, they're about the same. So if you look at something calorically, like a steak, and you look at like leaves and greens and certain things like that, a lot of the nutrients in there, if you were to do the same amount of plant-based food calorically to that, They're about the same. You just have to eat a lot more of them. So I don't know if that helps, yeah, but that's, no, yeah. Good. What are some common misconceptions about plant-based diets and how can they be addressed? That you can't get what you need on a plant-based diet. I don't think that's 100% true. Mm. I think it comes down to the individual. Yeah. Um, and what was it? So and how Yeah, and how can you address them? Like oh, what okay, can you do about it to make sure that, it, you know, yeah. you are getting what you need? Oh, okay. Um. You can do something like conscious food coaching. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> dot, 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 uh, yourconsciouskitchen.net. Yes. Yeah. For example, how can one make sure they are getting a variety of nutrients and not relying too heavily on any one food or food groups on a plant-based diet? So this is all plant-based. Yeah, of course. Food. Yeah. Yeah, it comes, down, it comes down to having a variety of everything. So if we know leafy greens are great, break them into fresh leafy greens and cooked leafy greens. Try to have at least three of each one. And then when it comes down to the grains and seeds and nuts, try and have three or four of each one and rotate between them using some of those principles I said before. Mm-hmm. If they Obviously, there's some greens that you need to cook. And with the nuts and seeds, make sure they're soaked and activated. Um, if it comes down to things like tempeh, which is a great protein source and um, a good a, a good way of getting protein into your body, is rotate between the different types of legumes that are used. Sometimes they're soy-based, sometimes they're chickpea-based, sometimes they're white bean-based. Just rotate between those so you're not using the same thing over and over and over. How do we activate something like almonds, for example? Soak them in water for about five hours, about four times more water. Soak them at room temperature, rinse them off pop them in the fridge and they'll be good for a week. You can eat them straight away. Once they've been okay. soaked and then rinsed, then they're good to eat. Yeah. Okay. So I guess this is similar to the one above. It's like, can a person get all ne- necessary nutrients from a purely raw plant-based diet? Raw. Um, mm. Specifically raw? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know. I'm sure there are people out there that can. There are mm. people out there that are big advocates. Can they do it for long periods of time over a long period of time? I don't know. I haven't seen enough of that to say whether or not that's true or not. Mm. I don't know if I have either because I didn't do it for long enough. I did it for about a year. On a plant-based diet, I think you can. I think there's a lot of proof out there that people can. Um, mm. There's good supplements, nutrigenics, things like that that you can include into your diet to support that diet, which are whole food-based. So people seem to be doing it on a plant-based diet. So, yeah. And uh, I guess protein is a really common one when talking about a plant or vegan-based diet. So how do you meet the recommended protein intake on a vegan diet? Yep. How do you do that? Again, you've got to have a variety of things. Yeah. Um, there are some foods that really stand out, like hemp seeds, for instance. Yeah. You know, they're a complete protein. 
little debate about that, but they do have all 21 amino acids and they have nine of the essential amino acids, um, which makes them a complete protein and they're 30% protein. So for every 100 grams of hemp seed, you're getting 30 grams of complete protein and that's about three tablespoons. So weaving things like that, chia seeds are great. Amaranth and quinoa are fantastic sources of protein that are grains. Obviously, you've got to soak them and cook them. Looking for these ingredients to kind of rotate between is a fantastic way to kind of, to get that protein. You've got to figure out what your protein intake is, though. Like, are you a high-performing person that needs a lot of protein, or you're kind of pretty chilled and pretty sedentary and just go for walks? Someone who's performing at a high level needs a lot more, so you need to determine that first. Yeah, yeah. 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 Have you seen any long-term effects of a plant-based diet on health and on disease? Any long-term effects? Yeah, yeah. So, Either way, like I guess positive effects as well as negative effects. Um, I've definitely seen negative effects of um, of plant-based diets, and when people, but they're, they're not incorporating principles of eating properly. They just eat plant-based diets, you know. Yeah. They, one um, example for me. Gut health. Yeah. Gut health would be one, but I yeah. know someone in my family actually eating <clears throat> a lot of soy-based products. So many. Yeah. And um, how quickly there was really. Um, Hormone replacement needed because yeah. it was just so estrogen heavy. Is that yeah, it's very estrogen heavy. Yeah, yeah. and um, I, I, you know, I highly recommend staying away from. This is if uh, I highly recommend staying away from processed soy yes. or fake meat products. Yeah, but um, to answer that, I haven't seen any long term effects. The effects have been over periods of three to five years. So I don't right. Know. So if you know, how does the quality of plant based protein source compare to animal based? protein sources. Oh, I think, well, well, there is a difference in the way that your body processes them. So animal-based proteins are a little tougher to digest, believe it or not, because your body has to break down into individual amino acids to digest them, whereas in plant-based foods, the proteins are available in enzymatic form as individual amino acids. It's a lot easier for your body to assimilate those instead of using energy to break down the protein and bring it back together. But a lot of this comes down to how you prepare the food, steak versus slow-cooked shank, for instance, very different in the way you digest it. And same with the plant-based food. Hemp seeds are very easy to digest. Soybeans are very hard to digest. So it's not as simple as one is better than the other. And people might not know, but why do we need, what does our body do with protein? Well, protein, so it creates structure and function in the body. It gives your muscle structure and gives them function, function. So it allows your body to do things and allows your body to have shape. So it's fuel. Uh, and, 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 the, the, and building blocks. It's building blocks that allow function and structure. So it's like building a car. All the pieces allow it to hold together, but also allow things to move at the same time. Got it. All right. How to balance the diet and and avoid nutrient deficiency on a vegan diet? Like what's the – so basically like how do you make sure that you get enough of everything? How do you balance your diet there? Uh, Again, just having a variety of things. Yeah. Yeah. A variety of things is the way to go. And understanding a little bit about activating, soaking – and digestion. And just really quickly, seasonal eating. Yes. Yeah. What would that look like, like in really simple terms? This, well, it's it's eating what grows in your area naturally in right. season, and that usually works for you because you're in the same climate. You know, so there is a synergistic effect there between plants and humans. We have a relationship with them. So yeah. seasonal eating has also to do with eating locally. Yeah. That's right. That's why market stalls are your best bet. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Simon, thank you so much. That Thanks, was Sebastian. really insightful. Oh, um, thank you. If people want to find out more about you, as I said before, that's uh, 
Your website is yourconsciouskitchen.net. That's yep. your one word. That's correct, yes. And then how do we find you on Instagram? Uh, it's your underscore conscious underscore kitchen. But your name is Simon Favorito, and that comes up as well as we type in your conscious That's right. You'll see that too. Great. Yes. And yeah. um, really excited all the things that you offer, private catering for conscious businesses as well as for families, mm-hmm. and on top of that, doing coaching and cooking, uh, teaching as well, which which I think is, is amazing because that's really the way to own it mm. as, as you know, as a family or an individual mm. to really incorporate that into your life. But it's good that you also support by making it for people. Yeah, that's right. Well, it keeps me, uh, it keeps me with my finger on the pulse, yeah. and it keeps me in touch with what people are doing, and I, yeah. I love it. I love the creative aspects of making food. It's my artistic expression, if you will. Yeah, yeah. amazing work. Yeah, thanks. Mate. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, thanks, Sebastian. Yeah, all the best. Yeah, likewise. Thank you. We hope you got a lot out of today's inspiring conversation. Please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Whether they are a seasoned health expert or just beginning their wellness journey, these stories of remarkable transformation, success and valuable insights will certainly help empower more people. Until next time, have the best life ever.